Curious Life. I'm your host, Terry Rosenstock, and with me today I have M. Simonic, who is going to be talking to us about one of her many, many things that she's passionate <laughs> about. Um, but today we're talking about metal detecting. Detecting. <laughs> Welcome to the show, M. Hi, Terry. Good to be here. Uh, so let's talk about how you got interested in this, first of all, because it seems like a very niche hobby. <laughs> so what brought you to metal detecting? Well, basically, I ended up on that funny place in YouTube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, I was just basically looking at treasure hunting videos, and then one popped up about metal detecting, and it was a, a YouTuber called Aquachigger, and he was doing all sorts, going river hunting and going land hunting. And he was finding all these cool old Civil War relics, and it was just really, really interesting to me. Mm. Um, and then from there, yeah, I kind of just got into it very slowly started off with a very cheap detector from trade me um, and now I've worked my way up to one that's a little bit more expensive so what's the entry level equipment so entry level equipment I guess you can just start off with your basic detector from trade me I mean you might not want to get a Chinese one that cost you a hundred dollars because it probably won't work that well mm. um, but that's what I did and to be honest it actually worked quite well for me. <laughs> <laughs> Got the job done to yeah, get you started. It, it gets the job done um, but if you really really want to be serious about it you're probably going to need your, your detector first of all mm-hmm. um, a, pin, a pinpointer which is pretty much like a handheld mini metal detector it helps you pinpoint items once you've located it with your bigger detector mm. um, and then your shovel or a, a garden knife um, anything that will cut nice plugs in the ground and the grass will heal up properly all right so you go out for a day of metal detecting and how do you know where to go <laughs> and do you know what you're looking for I have no idea what I'm looking for. (laughs) Basically anything. Um, First of all, what I do is I spend a lot of time researching, um, especially my area that I'm in at the moment. I try and look up the history of it, see if any fancy events happened back in the day, if there was an army base around our area, um, if there's nothing here, which we're in Wellington, so... There's not really a lot of history here, but there is enough. There's mm. war history. Um, if, if you're not that lucky, you can go up to Marsterton. All of the army bases are up there. That's a really awesome spot to metal detect. Um, me and my group that we set up last year, uh, we went up to Marsterton and found a whole bunch of stuff from World War One. So you just really have to know where um, all of the historic stuff happened. I mean, there's heaps of websites. Um, There's a really good website called Papers Past, and it brings up all of the old articles from around the region. Mm. And um, you can find out what happened back in the day. And Mm. from there, you figure out where you want to go. So if there's a military connection, what are you most likely to find? Military military connection, probably going to be looking for buttons. Mm -hmm. They're probably the easiest thing to find. Um, Also find a lot of uh, shoulder plates as well. Um, So they had the uniforms and they had the the metal shoulder plate that used to sit up. Mm. Um, And yeah, buttons, shoulder plates. Um, I've even found an old bayonet that went on the end of an old rifle from World War One. So that was really cool. 
Um, yeah, basically anything uniform related is probably what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there value to these things or just value to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you find metals, there's definitely value. Um, but when it comes to uniforms, probably not. I mean, unless it's like a, a big commander or a big general or something, it's probably not going to be worth a lot. But the way I look at it has a huge value to me because mm-hmm. all I think about is the story behind it and who was wearing it and where they've gone with that button on their coat, you know. Mm-hmm. There's such a cool idea behind it. It might be a small little item to other people, but to me, I see a whole bunch of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there wasn't really any military action necessarily in New Zealand <laughs> yeah um, but this would have been training grounds and yep. things like that yeah yep so there was a lot of training camps um, around the Wellington region all the way throughout New Zealand actually there was training camps everywhere we were getting ready for the big war just in case Japan came and invaded us mm-hmm. um, there's really cool old barracks up in Korori that you can still go out and have a look at um, they were getting ready to take on any ships that were coming in on the coast so it's really really cool mm. Um, they needed to be prepared. They needed to be prepared. Yeah. But yeah, basically around Wellington, you're going to be looking for army camps. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the Wairarapa. Um, probably around Upper North Island and around Christchurch, that's where you're going to find all the really old, cool army stuff, like stuff from the 1880s onwards sort of thing. Um, but Wellington being reasonably new very lucky to find that sort of stuff Mm. and what's the coolest military (laughs) item that you've found Mm, that's a hard one (laughs) I've found quite a few things Uh, my favorite thing is actually quite simple it's just a rifle bullet um, from the from the second world war and I found it on Lyle Bay when I first started detecting and it just washed up on the beach on the sand and it was dated 1942 on the bottom of it Hmm. so I knew right then and there that it was from the war it was really really cool and second favorite thing after that is probably a jubilee medal that I found um, probably about six months to a year ago now. Um, it was only awarded to about 10,000 different New Zealanders. Mm. Um, really, really cool. It's really old and really silver and really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> Any idea who it belonged to? No idea. Yeah. No, I tried my best to find out who it could belong to, but there's no ID numbers or anything like that on it, mm. unfortunately. Yeah. It would be very cool if I could return it to the family one day. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what does it look like? So it's basically just a silver, a silver round medal, and it would have had the um, the old material on top of it to hang off your coat. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's long gone now. I can get that repaired if I want to, but very small, probably about the size of a ten cent piece, mm-hmm. but probably weighs the same as two two dollar coins. So it's quite a heavy piece of silver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how are you able to locate something that's as small as a ten cent piece? <laughs> Metal detectors are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what what is that experience? Um, how does it make a sound? What, what, how do you know that there's something there? And how do you are how are you able to in, pinpoint it? Basically, all metals have a level of conductivity. Um, for instance, you'll have your ferrous and your non-ferrous metals. So non-ferrous metals are things of value like silver and gold. Ferrous are probably the older, the yucky cans and the old bits of scrap metal that you see around the yard and whatnot. And the metal detector has different tones based on what type of metal and level of conductivity it has. Uh, If it's gold, it will have a very low tone because gold is a very low conductor. 
factor. But if it's silver, it will have a really, really high tone and you'll probably see me jumping up and down on the field because <laughs> I want to get digging. Um, but basically it has to do with all of the chemical elements, metal elements and science and all that stuff behind it. Uh, basically a signal goes from the coil at the metal detector and it goes and hits the item and reflects back to the detector and that's how we get the sound. Hmm. Yeah. So w- what does it sound like? Is it a, a ping or is it a screech? Or is it's it a- just a beep. It's hmm. very high pitched for silver as I said. Um, for gold it's quite grunty, like a probably like a mid-tone sort of grunty sort of yeah mid-tone I'd Mm. say Um, and then your iron and nails and things like that will come through really really scratchy on the detector so you know not to dig that Mm. otherwise you'll be digging for Africa (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah anything anything of value or anything of significance will sound very clear on the metal detector itself little things like cans and bottle caps they sound very scratchy so you know really not to dig that Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, however, gold sits within that bottle cap range. Ah. So you have to be digging those bottle caps if you want to find that nice gold ring, which mm-hmm. I've found a few. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah. do you just display these things or do you... I have my wee shelf in my room and yeah. I... All of my good stuff I like to preserve in stuff called Renaissance wax. Mm. So I'll clean the items first. If it's a coin, I might just clean it with some lemon juice and baking soda, or I might give it a shock of electrolysis, which is a water and salt solution, and you put electricity through the water and it gets all the grime and stuff off the coins, Hmm. or anything really, anything that's got grime on it. Um, Or you can, if it's a copper coin, you can soak it in oil. Once I've done that and they're all clean, I'll put the Renaissance wax on them, just a very thin layer, and then I'll display them on my way shelf. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. That's and really cool. did you know about all of this sciencey stuff, the, the <laughs> conductivity and the different el- elements? No. Um, <laughs> you've learned all that as part of this process. Yeah, I learned all of that. I mean, I got a pretty intense handbook when I got my metal detector, and it took me probably a couple of weeks to read back to front. I still didn't understand half the stuff they were trying to tell me so I had to do a lot of my own research but it's very sciencey when it comes down to it. I mean even down to the shape of the coil which is the thing that's closest to the ground if it's round it will have a different um, depth level if it's oval it will have a different depth level there's just so many things that come into play as a factor. Mm. And then how do you go about extracting these items from the ground? (laughs) Well, we like to be really careful when we do that because we want to, one, keep these places as spots that we can go and hunt, and two, we want to respect the ground. Mm -hmm. So if we can, we like to use handheld digging knives, Mm -hmm. and we'll just try and pinpoint the object as close as we can so we can dig as small as hole as we can. Mm -hmm. And so we'll just cut a small plug out of the grass and leave one end attached so then you can just flip it back down push it down like you're never there Mm. so you can yeah there's a whole bunch of techniques I know a few people that have the standard camping shovel and they're out and about digging up grass and it it doesn't look very nice and then they get told not to come back again um, so my, I take pride in making sure that all of my holes and everything are very, very tidy. Mm. And you mentioned that you go out with a group. Um, how did you find these people? I found them. So um, there was a really cool metal detecting group on Facebook, um, just Metal Detecting New Zealand Aotearoa. 
um, and I was a little bit jealous that they had their own group and they were organising all of these little group hunts so I thought well I wonder if there's anyone in Wellington so I set up my own page and I advertised on the main page for any Wellington people and then all of a sudden I got 30 odd members and they decided oh yep we're going to have our own chapter now <laughs> <laughs> so we're called um, Wellington NZ Detectorists you mm-hmm. can find us on Facebook um, we organise hunts every couple of weeks um, just depends on the weather and if I've got a p- new permission or not I do like to hunt places where I've actually got permission to be there um, I don't like to just go to a random park and start digging it's not fair and the council will come and chase me away <laughs> and so, not let you come back yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. So, and I want to keep going back so mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure you need to be aware of anything like sacred ground and, and things oh, like that. Oh, for sure. Like reserves, uh, tapu ground, as you say, um, anything that's got any sort of heritage, um, anything like that, no goes on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they were ripping apart Erskine College in Island Bay, which was from the late 1800s, and it would be such a cool place to metal detect, but I'm just not tempted to go there whatsoever because they've got security everywhere and it's under private developers now Mm. but I do know people in my group that would still go and try their Mm. luck Um, but that's just not the way my ethics work right yeah it's it's good that you have ethics (laughs) (laughs) I try I try (laughs) so if somebody is interested um, you mentioned that you had a booklet and you were watching YouTube videos is that really just just starting to look online that's the best way to start getting into it honestly the best way to do it a lot of people that are metal detecting overseas and they have their own YouTube channel they'll pretty much just take you on their adventure Um, it's really really cool you get to see what they're seeing you get to see their reaction when they find something and dig it out of the ground and it's really cool um it's you feel like you're there with them Mm. and they take you on their day out and these people can be out for hours sometimes and you can just watch it or you can have it on in the background but you're learning as you go because Mm -hmm. they will tell you this will ring up as that or this will ring up as that this isn't any good to dig things like that so that's the best way to learn is to, to learn from others that are doing it now yeah and learn from experience I suppose yeah. every time that you go out you're probably oh yeah exactly learning I'm more. still learning and I'm mm. probably going to be learning until I drop dead <laughs> but yeah it's there's a lot behind it um, every single item on this planet has a target ID which is pretty much a number that corresponds to what sort of metal it is and what it will read up as Mm. Um, and so you learn target IDs so you get a beep and you know that target ID and you can say oh that'll be a dollar coin or that'll be a bottle cap and then you just try your luck and sure enough you're correct Mm. so it's really cool learning that and then having other people come along saying it's really sort of unusual hobby to have <laughs> um, but it's cool to be able to show other people something different that they haven't really had exposure to before. So if there's a discarded ball of tin foil somewhere yep. that will that will ping oh, up. Yeah. You but, probably don't want to waste the time yeah. digging it for it oh. but <laughs> sometimes the, it, it all depends really. It could be a ball of tin foil but could ring up as something really really good purely just because of the shape that it's rolled in. Mm. The, I mean a signal from the coil of the metal detector will bounce off that ball like it's something huge and big and shiny and mm-hmm. you're thinking oh my god this is going to be a ring or something with gold or something like that and then you pull out a giant ball of tinfoil from the ground mm. and you sort of kick yourself but you know that it's it's um, 
give and take when it comes to metal detecting. You can't always have good targets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I should mention that we're recording this at the airport, so if there's some (laughs) background noise, (laughs) that's what that noise is. (laughs) I'm used to it now. (laughs) Yeah, we both are. Our day jobs are at the airport. So so (laughs) what is your ultimate dream of what do you, what would be the dream defined? I personally would really love to go down to the Otago Gold Trails Mm. and go into the old gold mines and see what I can find with my metal detector. One of those miners would have had to have dropped a gold nugget somewhere. Yes. And I'm going to find it. (laughs) (laughs) So are are there people who have done this that have gone there and metal detected before? Um, From my knowledge, I know that there's a few people in my group that have gone down to the Otago Trails, but a lot of the places that I want to go to are on private property Mm. and I'm just lucky enough that I know those people that have that private property so I can go there and find this stuff Mm. but if you're just from the general public you probably will have a lot of trouble you might have to go do some gold panning um, in the creeks and see Mm. what you can find yeah but yeah yeah so is gold panning gold panning obviously is in water so could you bring your metal detectors in water to oh, use yeah, it there for sure it, it depends on really the grade of detector that you've got mm. i mean my one is waterproof down to eight meters i think mm. so i can take it in the ocean i could go down to lyle bay right now and go have a play but it depends on the mineralization and the ionization of the water mm. really if so that could distort the sounds exactly and, and you can get false signals and things like that so a black sand beach for a metal detector no go because <laughs> there's just too many different types of minerals on the ground mm. and your metal detector is going to be going nuts mm. if you go to oriental parade or a white sand beach you're going to have a great time mm-hmm. or a river something where there's not a lot of salt mm-hmm. um, it just it all goes back to that conductivity basically um, but yeah black sand no white sand yes so it sounds like it'd be actually quite interesting for a science class in a high school or, or even oh, even younger sure. to use this as a tool to learn about these minerals as opposed to just reading a book about it yeah yeah, in the periodic table and everything like that. I think it would be a great idea for mm. school classes to go out and this is how they learn. Yeah. Um, I mean, it beats reading a book, that's mm. for sure. Yeah. Um, but that, I didn't know any of this stuff before I started detecting. So it's actually really cool to be able to, one, learn a really cool hobby, two, find some awesome stuff, and three, have all this cool science knowledge behind me now, which I didn't have before. Absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned there are people who tell their stories online. Is that something that you would be interested in doing a YouTube channel sometime to teach? I have tried. (laughs) I made one video, which was not a very successful hunt, so it didn't really turn into a very good video. Um, But we were up at Kaitoki Regional Park out by um, Rivendell, where they had the Lord of the Rings filming. Mm -hmm. Um, And we found heaps of one-cent coins for some reason. (laughs) I don't know why, but all from the 70s, and that was basically about it. So the whole video was just like oh 
another one cent coin. So much history from 1975. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I tried and I failed. Not many people liked it or watched it. But I think once I get myself a GoPro, now that I've got a, a decent laptop, I'll mm. probably stick one on my detector and, and let it watch me do my thing. And oh, excellent. See so we can find. Yeah. I mean, not every day is going to be successful. So you're going to have some of those you hit and You have your good and your bad, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and really, you can still learn um, from every video. Like, I wouldn't know what the sound of coin sounds like. So if I watched it, I would still learn from oh, you. Oh, exactly. No, you'll definitely learn something. Mm. And regardless, if we don't find anything, some of the places that we go to are absolutely stunning. So just watch the video for your, the scenery, I it's guess. It's true. It's true. We live in a very beautiful place. We do. We are very lucky. Yeah. So among the detectorists in New Zealand, what types of things have been found and do a lot of people just hold on to them or do they wow. sell them? Or That's a big question. <laughs> wow. um, so I know probably, well, in, in the group for metal detecting in New Zealand, I think there's about a thousand members. Mm. And of that thousand from what I've seen the best thing that they've found is a gold sovereign coin um, highly valuable highly sought after highly beautiful um, that's just what everyone wants to find but they're very very rare um, also gold nuggets hmm. as well um, everyone likes gold I think just because the mo- the money value behind it yeah <laughs> um, when they find these gold sovereigns and the nuggets though I really don't think they're selling them I think they, they are just displaying them it is such a cool thing to be able to walk past that thing every day and say oh, I found that mm-hmm. you know I spent four or five hours digging outside on a rainy day but I found that yeah and then that belonged to someone in the 1800s who had a family and then they grow up and there's just a whole story behind it and I yeah. love that I yeah. love that side of it and so are you able to I know that you've you tried with the metal to to find the story do you often with these items try to discover I do yeah especially if it's like a a wedding band that's been engraved or something with a a key identifier on it um I have found a GoPro before in the ground (laughs) in the ground um it was really damaged but I managed to get the the SD card or whatever it's called off it and I could watch the videos and from that I can get an identifier off it Mm -hmm. so I was able to return it not that would have been any good but um if i can and if i if i see something on there that will help me find the person i'll try and return it Mm, yeah but luckily sometimes they don't like to come back so i get to keep them and display them on my shelf yes yes and and everyone who comes over you're able to tell them the story exactly how you found it exactly and i've got lots of stories and i could go on for hours (laughs) (laughs) so what has been your best day metal detecting my best day metal detecting was probably last year this time last year actually we went up to Masterton and we were detecting the race course up there Mm. Um, it's the oldest race course in New Zealand Um, so there was a whole bunch of stuff there man we got there at about 10 o'clock in the morning and didn't leave to about six o'clock at night I think that's how long we were digging Um, everyone just came back with silvers heaps of spendies like gold coins um rings necklaces bracelets like wow. it was a really really good day everyone dresses up for the races <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> everyone has a two dollar coin in their pocket for the yeah. races um but yeah i mean you could purely go to these places and even though it's a really old place you could just purely seat your mind to finding gold coins 
so you get rich mm-hmm. I mean that's the perfect place to do that I know a few people that go out to parks and all they're looking for are gold coins just so they've got that extra money mm-hmm. um, so, to buy new metal detecting yeah, equipment exactly. yeah exactly <laughs> pretty much yeah I mean let's be honest that's what it's going to go on <laughs> um, but yeah Masterton that was a hell of a day eight hours of just finding stuff every two three minutes I think that day I found 12 silvers um, now silver was pretty much eradicated out of New Zealand in 1947 so to find those silvers and they were all predated before 1947 that was such a cool feeling mm. um, all of them were over 100 years old I'm pretty sure wow. um, I mean to other people especially maybe American diggers they all look at that and be like 100 years come on <laughs> I don't know, America's a pretty young country as well. (laughs) But, I mean, if you go on YouTube and, you know, you follow these guys, they're looking for coins and they want something that's from the 1700s or from the colonial sort of area, you know, um, in New Zealand because we're not lucky enough to have that. We just have to make do with war stuff and bullets and coins and it's really cool though. It's worth it. If you could travel anywhere in the world to do some metal detecting, where would you go? England. Ah, nice, yeah. Yeah, hands down. All of those castles, I can just imagine the Vikings going down, like, across a hill, dropping, like, pots of gold and things like that. Um, So many, like, caches of coins have been found over there, just coins that have been put into jars and then buried and then you know someone like myself will come along and think it's a two dollar coin and lo and behold it's ten thousand gold coins from like way back you know the 1600s it'd be such a cool experience to go over there i mean you can go anywhere and find anything Mm. it's very very old area so and do you know if there are public areas that you can just go to in england or is most most of it you probably need permissions for the, the rules are quite different everywhere, mm. um, but for me personally, I would try and get permission. Mm. I do know of some people, though, that just go to the local parks there. They're not governed by anyone. I mean, the councils look after them, but they're pretty low infrastructure underground, so people aren't going to be worried if it gets a little bit beaten up. Um, but over here, the council hates us. <laughs> <laughs> but so, not you, because no, you put it back like I, you found I, it. I try and do everything by the book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just in case I'm at these places and someone has a moan about it, I have these emails on my phone that I can just pull up from the council and be like, look, proof, I'm allowed to be here. <laughs> um, I don't want to be caught off guard right. <laughs> and get in trouble. Yeah, no, I, that, that's definitely the best way to go, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so what advice would you give to someone who wants to start? If you want to start, best thing I can advise is to do your research. Um, don't just go heavily nilly to any park. You want to find those parks that have got high foot traffic, that are always in use and might have a playground. Um, don't go to dog parks because you won't find anything apart from dog tags. Um, <laughs> and probably I, step in a lot of other yeah, things you don't exactly. want to. Exactly. <laughs> um, just do your research and also research the science behind it as well. Uh, it might seem boring just talking about it, but it's actually really interesting once you get into it. There's a whole, a whole bunch of stuff that goes into it, and I'm still learning to this day. Mm. So, Is there a specific resource you would recommend? A, a YouTube channel or a book or 
I recommend starting off watching Aqua Chigger on mm. YouTube because he is a really informative channel as well as like an adventure channel. So some days you might be watching him and he'll be in a, a creek finding Civil War relics and then another day you'll be watching him and how he builds an electrolysis machine to clean all of these relics. It's such a good educational channel, so I would watch that Aqua Chigger. Mm-hmm. Cool, very cool. And any last bits of, of wisdom about uh, metal detecting? Last bits of wisdom? Don't be mean to people that like metal detecting. <laughs> They're cool. Why would anyone want to be mean? I think it's amazing. Yeah, no, it is, it is getting more and more popular now, but there is still that um, atmosphere where people might have a, an opinion yes, yes. <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that yes. well you know due to the internet we know everyone has an exactly, opinion exactly <laughs> exactly yeah but it is becoming popular now um but in some ways it is a it's a bad thing because that means more people to find more stuff which right. means less stuff for me yeah so <laughs> and we have such a small country that we're exactly. in there's only limited space and limited stuff exactly no i will keep trying my very best and researching till my heart's content and then you'll start your youtube channel so we can all follow along <laughs> and get excited when you find that big piece of silver i'll get there one day hopefully i just need a gopro hit me up if anyone's got one <laughs> <laughs> oh very good and i i have to mention that you of course also designed the artwork for our podcast i did so well, thank you very much for you're that very welcome i'm uh, more than happy to donate my time uh, well like i mentioned uh, m is multi-talented uh, she is not only an incredible artist creative but science-minded and data-minded and you just do it all (laughs) i try i try you can't ever be good really good at one thing so you've just got to be sort of semi-good at lots of things that's my chain of all trades that's my mantra (laughs) (laughs) it keeps life exciting right it does it It does does. (laughs) all right well thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you for having me i've had a really good time and uh and we'll have to have you on again to talk about one of your other amazing talents and and hobbies and passions oh thank you i'd love to be back awesome well thank you so much for listening to this curious life with m simonic and uh, i'm your host terry rosenstock and uh, we'll be back again uh, in a couple weeks thanks for listening bye guys thank you so much for listening to this curious life today's guest was m simonic and i'm your host terry rosenstock thanks to Haley fordyce for creating our music m simonic for creating our artwork and Nicole Miller, professional creative, for designing our logo. Be sure to tune in next time when we talk to our This Curious Life songstress, Haley Fordyce, about her passion, music. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to follow along wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for sharing your feelings with me. This curious life